Welcome to the final Saturday workshop of the 2016 Region 2 Convention. We have an announcement. My name is Jody, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this workshop. Please join me in the serenity prayer first. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I will now pass the mic to a committee member, Beth. Hello, I'm Beth. I'm a compulsive overeater and anorexic. Um, just a couple quick announcements that um, we got some information in that we have a few more Saturday dinner tickets for sale if anybody wanted to do the dinner and the speaker event. And we have plenty of space, actually, and the chef says plenty of food for the Sunday breakfast speaker event. So if you know of anybody who wanted to do dinner or breakfast or both, they just need to go to the registration table to sign up for that. And also, we just want to remind people that these Joyful Journey t-shirts are for sale in the Hall of Dreams. And it doesn't have OA on it or the date or anything, so it's a good all-purpose shirt. Thanks. Thank you, Jody. Mm -hmm. All right. Welcome, everybody. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by Ask It Basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. The topic for this session is anorexic, Bulimic Compulsive Exerciser, Destination, Sanity, and the Principle is Realism. We will begin with a selection from the pamphlet, OA Members Come in All Sizes, from page 1. We have found a workable solution in the 12 Steps and the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. And we have found that they work er equally well for the anorexic, bulimic, or compulsive overeater with little or no weight to lose. Whatever our differences, here in a way we recover together. And with that, we'll now move on to our first speaker, Linda. Let's welcome Linda. Hi. Um, I have a really loud voice, so I'm self-conscious about speaking into this microphone. Is it really loud? 
Right. But I want to know if I should mod- modulate my voice a little bit lower. Okay, cool. So anyway, only kidding. Um, so my name is Linda. I'm a compulsive reader and I'm a bulimic. Hi, you guys. Um, I'm glad to be here. My, I, I have to be honest, my ego has taken a bit of a hit with the fact that there's just a few of us because I just want to speak brilliantly and eloquently in front of as many people as possible. I'm somebody who wants a lot of attention, and I love that there aren't a lot of people here because it just reminds me that whatever is to be is to be. I am just another bozo on the bus. Not that I think I have such a great program. I don't mean it like that, but I want a lot of attention. So the fact that you know I'm getting less attention than if there were like 50 people in the room, I feel like that's good for me. Um, and Maggie, do me a favor. Can you give me a five, five, and five? Um, I'm a bulimic, um, so that's what I'm going to speak about. I don't, um, I'm not a compulsive exerciser, and I've never been anorexic, so I can't speak to those things, but I can't speak to bulimia. Um, so I am a real serious binge eater, um, just kind of quintessential, going to the grocery store, going to the convenience store, getting just a huge variety of all those foods that many of us binge on. Um, let me give you a hint, really no actually normal real food. Um, and just, you know, surrounding myself with it. When I think about it, and I think this is an accurate image, I I did literally do this quite often. Um, and if I didn't literally do this, it felt like this to me, just being surrounded almost like a protective wall with like this item here, that bag, this, that, this, whatever. And it was all right there. And I would binge until I absolutely couldn't eat anymore. And I would throw up often, not always. I've tried to estimate like how often I threw up. Um, I wasn't necessarily a daily thrower upper, um, although there were days um, where I threw up several times a day. And there were weeks where I think I probably threw up more days than I did not. Um, But um, when I told my sponsor that, you know, I threw up however much I threw up and I was wondering if I was a real bulimic. She just was like, yeah, you're a bulimic. Just like shut up. Um, because I don't want to be a bulimic, right? You know, who wants to be a bulimic? Um, but I am a bulimic. Um, so, um, at one point I, I guess I was a bad bulimic and that one point at five, four, I was about 220 pounds. Um, when I came into program, I was at about 195 and it just astounds me how much I ate because, um, I was able to maintain my weight at 195, um, by eating so much and throwing it up. If I didn't throw a lot of it up, I can only imagine, um, how heavy I would have gotten. Um, but you know, I, I was very large and really wasn't obsessed with my weight. Not yet the way, you know, a lot of bulimics really can be, I think quite a bit. Um, I just was one of those, you know, compulsive eaters, just kind of divorced from anything below my neck. Um, and sometimes I saw myself as really fat. Sometimes I'm not going to say I saw myself as thin, but I certainly did not conceptualize myself as being 195 pounds. Um, so I, when I binge and throw up, which by the way, I haven't done in over three years. I don't eat sugar. I virtually don't eat white flour. Like if I make a sauce that needs to be thickened, maybe I'll put a couple of tablespoons of white flour in it. I'll do that. But eh, that's about it. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't eat any crunchy, salty snack stuff. I do none of that. And I am grateful to be free of it. 
Um, because there's no doubt in my mind that if I start eating that stuff again, it was like Anya's song last night. For those of you who stay for the talent show, I might as well freaking shoot myself in the head. I mean, I literally, I mean, honestly, it's going to be the same effect, just perhaps slower. Um, because I cannot stop eating and it leads me to throwing up, which is even that much more dangerous. So when I would binge and purge, I was depressed. I was passed out. I was completely full of self-hatred, bitterness, resentment, hopelessness, anger, blame to such a degree that that's what I believed was real. There was no sense that these were one of the reasons why I like the concept of character defects is it allows me to take these things and kind of put them outside myself. It's like, oh, these aren't the reality of what I am. I am not a horrible person and the world doesn't totally suck and everybody doesn't hate me. That's part of my character defects, meaning that's something I struggle with. That's something that I can work on and this program can help me be relieved from those attitudes and those beliefs. And um, that has really meant a lot to me. But, you know, binging and purging, there was no separation. I was the most horrible person in the world. I hated everything. I was totally despairing. And I just really believe that compulsive eating, all that sugar and flour completely distorted my thoughts. Like, forget spiritual or emotional. I feel like physiologically that all those substances mess with my brain. Um, and that throwing up compounded it. I mean, if people in here who are bulimic, I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but the more I threw up, the more insane I became. Um, I was in OA for many years, uh, many years ago for a few years, but left for 25 years and finally came back, um, with type two diabetes. Thanks. I have 10 left or I, Okay. Um, with type 2 diabetes, like I said, at about 195 pounds, clinically obese, and as horrible as that all is, again, it was the bitterness, the, resent, the resentment, the resentfulness, just going through life like this that was horrible, you know, yelling at my husband, um, not really having friends. Um, this is where binging and purging brought me. And um, it also brought me to Part of my story is that I've been underemployed and have found it very, very difficult to function out in the world, really in, in kind of many ways, but certainly in terms of career. And um, I just was stuck. So um, I want to talk about my recovery. That's my disease part. Um, I want to talk about my recovery and... Um, I, and I want to try to keep in touch with this... Um, a principle of realism that is associated with this workshop. But I got to tell you to me, realism is like, I think it's like a painting movement. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like realism. Isn't that like a literary artistic, like, you know, era. Um, so for me, I translated it into reality. So I want to talk about a little bit, like what is reality um, for me? And I love that. I just heard myself say that, um, ask that question because like I just said, right? Like all these attitudes that I was so mired in, in my disease, I thought that was reality. That shit was not, that shoot was not reality. Um, it just wasn't. So what is reality? 
Um, I have come to a lot of realities working this program, and it's amazing to me because I really thought – I'm 52 now. So when I came in, right, I was 49, 25 years of relapse. I didn't have a lot of hope. But one day I stood in my kitchen, and I thought to myself, oh, tomorrow I'm going to start eating normally, and which I said to myself a million times. And all of a sudden I saw it. I said, I am thinking exactly like an alcoholic. Oh, it will work for me, and I'm going back. And I went back and I knew, I know, I don't know a lot of things, but I am never leaving this program. Because like I said, I was out there for 25 years. So, you know, I worked the steps. I've really jumped in. Um, So these are the realities of my recovery that I'm very aware of now. One is that um, I talked about not being obsessed with my weight um, before I got into program the way a lot of bulimics are. Well, guess what I'm obsessed with now? Um, I lost about 55 pounds and, um, after I had lost maybe about 45, I started to become really obsessed with my weight. Um, just being really preoccupied and standing in the mirror and poking and just feeling like it wasn't enough. And I can't, you know, 50 at that point, 50, 51, you know, I'm drooping. I'm like, what the hell? What is with this? Um, yeah, I still want to be like 25. Um, and the last six months or so, I've gained some weight. Um, I'm eating less than I was um, about a year or so ago um, in abstinence, but it doesn't matter because I'm gaining weight anyway, and I am pissed, and I am obsessed, and I've really been struggling with this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here's part of the compulsive eating and probably the bulimic thinking too. Um, and I felt ashamed of myself for feeling this way because I am a recovering person and I'm not supposed to feel this way, I tell myself. And I've been pissed and I've been scared that I'm going to keep um, gaining weight. So that's a reality that's going on for me now. And another part of the reality, that's the bad news. The good news is that I can't make myself not feel this way. I can't make myself stop obsessing. Not only that, I can't make myself make different food choices that will lead me to no longer gain weight and to perhaps lose these several pounds that I've gained. I can't do it. And I feel relieved because you know how every time you go into a meeting, we read the same steps, you know, we do the same readings, you know, readings from the big book, whatever, meeting after meeting. I believe that the reason we do that is because we don't remember. I know that I don't remember. I can hear I am powerless over food, came to believe, made a decision 85,000 billion times, but I forgot. I thought I could control it, that I should control it. And I thought, you know what? I can't control it. And I feel, I got to tell you, and this has been very recent, today compared to two weeks ago, if two weeks ago I was obsessed with my weight like 100%, today I'm obsessed with my weight, I'm going to say like 45%. And so I've had a half reduction, a little bit more than half, (laughs) which I'm sure you guys figured out um, because you're as brilliant at math as I am. And um, that to me is huge. And I also am making fewer food choices that would lead to weight gain. I just am. And um, that to me is I'm so glad because um, I'm just really glad because I can't do it myself. Um, Something else that's a reality for me right now is I have character defects that really kick my ass. Um, I am pursuing a career for the first time in forever, which I never would have done without this program. Completely impossible for me to be in paralegal school, which I am. Um, And I'm beginning to realize like, oh, 
Linda, you want to have a job in an office like a professional person, maybe some of your character defects of feeling disregarded and reacting to that, being overly sensitive, being snappy when I feel hurt, which, you know, I just told you I felt hurt because there weren't like 30 people in here. I mean, seriously, I am so sensitive and I want like attention and I want adoration and I want all this stuff from other people. This is really hard to admit, but it's true. It might be my number one character defect. And what happens when I don't get it usually is I snap and I act in anger. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe in order to be successful at your new career, maybe you don't want to have to act out that character defect so much. Um, so it's very pragmatic, and I like that. And it has gotten a lot better, but I'm more aware of it than I was. So it's a reality for me that I decided to go back to individual therapy, and I'm thrilled because I am ready to work on this. I'm thinking of therapy this time as I am a consumer – and I am buying a product, and this product is therapy, and I'm going to get my money's worth. It's just a real different view than I've had in my whole life as, you know, I've usually been like, can you help me? You don't understand me. Are you going to understand me? I don't believe you. What's the therapeutic process? You're a jerk, and I'm a jerk too, and this isn't worth it. But I have such a different attitude now, and I feel really, really grateful. Again, impossible without this program. I would be home hating myself and hating my husband and lying in bed right now. Um, and then pass out from being sick from food and having diabetes out of control. That's what I would be doing. Um, another reality I'm dealing with right now has to do with the first one I said, which is I can't will myself to not be obsessed, and I can't will myself to eat more the way I would like to. Um, that has to do with living in my head. I live in my head, and it doesn't work in terms of approaching life and um, being in recovery and being like the true person that I am, I've come to discover that despite my snippy snappiness and whatever, um, I am a really nice person with a lot of love inside of me. And um, so to me, recovery, recovery from character defects, spiritual awakening, all that is here. And this is what I'm doing in therapy. He's helping me stay in here and stay out of there. So the reality I'm coming – working to come to more terms with is this bad, bad, don't listen, this good. Um, I guess the only other thing I just want to say, and I've been grateful for this from day one, this time, this three years back. Um, I worked at Starbucks until just about a month ago. So I'm, you know, completely surrounded by pastries all the time, you know, touching them, smelling them, serving them. And um, I hated it, but in a way, I really appreciated it because having to be around it all the time reminded me every minute pretty much that I have an incredible lust for this food. And what I would like to do is take this piece of whatever that I'm serving this customer and then get like 27 buckets of it and sit in the back room at work or go home or hide, hide in the bathroom. I've eaten in the bathroom and eat it until I pass out. That's what I think of when I look at that food. And I am so grateful for that. I don't want to F around with any of that like real attractive bingy food. Some people eat that in moderation. That's fine. Um, it doesn't work for me. And that's a reality that I feel like it saves my ass. That's actually a thought. I talked about not trusting this, but that thought I trust. It's like, 
if you eat that, you will die. And that is the reality. I don't even want to go there. I feel so relieved to not have to eat dessert. Um, I would go to my mother-in-law. She's a lovely cook, you know, beautiful desserts, every meal. And looking back on it, now that I'm in recovery, I realize I hated dessert because I was supposed to eat one piece. Who the heck wants to eat one piece of whatever? I, that to me is torture. I would much rather, um, at the beginning, my first year or so, they would have dessert and I would go sulk on the couch and play Plants vs. Zombies on my phone. Now I can still, I can sit at the table and yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable, but you know, I don't care. It's way better than eating one piece. Um, thank you. Um, I'm done. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Linda. Mm-hmm. Our next speaker is Delin. Let's welcome Delin. Thanks. I love that our names are backwards, Linda and Delin. Um, <laughs> so I'm Delin. I'm a compulsive overeater, undereater, restrictor. Um, hi. I'm also having the like, I want to be on the big stage. <laughs> Um, and, and I'm just aware, like, um, I'm aware of how, like, I, 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 I'm maybe not unusual in this way, but I have both sides of this illness. I, I identify internally as a compulsive overeater, but if you were to look at what I do with my food, it's very much equally probably both. Um, and I don't get a lot of airtime of hearing people with the other side of this disease, which is why I'm happy to be here. And I'm happy that you are all here. And I'm happy that those of you who are listening on this recording are also here because I think that there is a lot to be – there's a lot of recovery that I still need and that I need to be talking about more in groups of people who understand these other peculiarities of how I interact with food. So um, just a little background information. Um, this is actually, I'm coming up on my 13-year anniversary in OA, like today. It's somewhere near here. I don't know when it was, but it was either two weeks ago or two weeks from now. <laughs> it was either June 15th or July 15th, and I can't remember which date actually was that real first meeting. Um, so... So I've been coming to OA since the summer of 2003. Um, I was 27 when I came in, um, which didn't feel very young to me. It felt like I was a little over the hill. And I think that that's important because I think that just about every single person who comes into OA, if not every single person, feels like they got here too late and they're, they're too old and that they should have been here sooner. So I just share that because I was 27, which qualifies me as being very young. Um, when I came in and, um, I was in, um, my abstinence date that I count is, um, February 1st, 2004. So if you do the math, it took me six or seven months before I kind of wrapped my head around what I was doing. Um, and I'm also have been free of desserts, which is my compulsive overeating kind of how I count that, um, specifically since December 11th. I'm sorry, December, 2011. So that's like four and a half years. So there's all these different points. And I think that my recovery has a lot of different 
like kind of touchstones, um, because I've had different issues I've had to work on. So I don't have like just one date that I'm kind of referring to. Um, it's sort of like a continually, a, a continuous process of getting closer and closer to my goal, which is maybe why I belong here because I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> and so like my goal is yet to have been achieved. And, um, I think that that's important because we, as you know, restrictors and exercise bulimics, you know, com- restrictive eaters, um, compulsive eaters. We like, we have this, um, addiction to perfection and, um, really actually my, my, I got here through, because I was 12 stepped by somebody into another program and she was actually an OA member. Um, but she 12 stepped me into a different program and she helped me a lot, um, as like a kind of professional counselor as I was working with. Um, and she says we are actually as like restrictors, anorexics, orthorexics, we are addicted to control. Like that's our addiction. And it took me literally like 14 years to figure that out. I had no idea what she was talking about. I I spent months meditating on it. And it was just like a few months ago that I finally realized like, oh, I get it. I am addicted to control. Um, I'm addicted to controlling when and how and what I put into my body. And if you tell me otherwise, I will rip your head off. And that's why it took me so long to get to where I'm at. I had a very slow recovery in the beginning because I couldn't let go of the need to control what I was going to do around my food. Um, So just to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, I come from maybe an unusual situation. I don't know. My mom is a compulsive overeater. She very much idealized people who could control their weight and control their food and who could pass up things that she was addicted to. My father's also very much addicted to sugar and he is like me able to control his food very strictly. And so I had these two kind of dichotomies in my household. Um, And so my, like, in terms of, like, anorexia and restriction, my first move in that direction, and this is a little bit controversial, but it's my story, so if this causes you to gasp, please just, like, take a breath and... (laughs) And then like talk to your sponsor. So my like first addiction was in, in terms of controlling my food was giving up meat. And that's very controversial in the Bay area, but that was, that was it for me. I was 12 years old. I had a a science teacher who I very much idealized and he talked about vegetarianism in the classroom and all the other kids gasped in horror. What does that, what does that mean? And of course I knew because I had a vegetarian father and my science teacher said, if I could do that, I would do that. I very much respect them. And I literally went home and told my mom I was giving up meat. And it wasn't because I wanted to, it wasn't because I thought it was the right decision, although obviously I'd been getting a lot of messages from my dad about it, but I did it because I wanted to be perfect and I wanted to be better than other people. And so I like white knuckled it. And, um, in fact, the first like few months I said, I'm giving up meat except sausage and bacon because those were like special foods. And we had them on Sundays when we ate special, like things, you know, like special breakfast. And my mom finally, after a few months, she said, you know, Delenn, you can't be a vegetarian if you're still eating bacon and sausage, um, which was really the wrong thing to say because it was like a knife in my heart. And I said, oh, fine. And so I gave up, I gave it up. And that was like, not a good move on my part. My body actually needs a lot of animal protein. My recovery actually began when I started eating animal protein because I was so weak and I was so like kind of just not grounded 
And I was addicted to sugar and it was directly correlated to the fact that I wasn't eating enough protein and didn't know what it felt like to have enough protein in my system. So that's just my story. Like take it or leave it if this is pushing your buttons. But like, that's like the degree of like willpower I have around food and the degree to which I like starved myself from something that I really needed. Um, so, um, so I got here, um, I actually got here and this is, I think this is not unusual in this day and age. Um, but I didn't know many people like me. I was very much addicted to spiritual diets. So, um, I was also very concerned about my body. Um, I had a totally normal body shape and size, and I was obsessed with it because I happened to carry all my weight on my stomach, which is like the opposite of what like pop culture tells you you're supposed to do as a woman. So, um, so I like at the age of 15, I read a book about auras and it said, if you like bathe naked under a red lamp for 30 minutes a day and don't eat any green foods for like a week, you'll switch your metabolism. So you start learning, losing weight. And I decided that I had a metabolic problem. Like really it was just like genetics, but like I, like I did that. I bathed naked under a red light in the freezing cold in the dead of winter for 30 minutes a day when I was 15 to try to change my body shape and um, and then when I was um, in my 20s and graduated from college, I, I'm just fast forwarding, um, I had a kind of persistent health condition and I went to see an herbalist about it and she gave me basically like my, my second spiritual diet after the one that my dad, I was kind of raised with in my household. Um, and it involved things like vibrational frequencies of foods, which I'm not opposed to, but it like it included things like um, only eat red potatoes because they're the highest vibration. Don't eat carrots because they're so low in vibration. And so I had so over the space and and she, actually she gave me a bunch of herbs. They really worked. So I tried to do this thing as if like that would like be my saving grace and that would like kind of. Um, get rid of all of the negative, any negative or uncomfortable feeling I had in my body, I tried to treat with food. Um, so by the time I got into OA, which was a few years after I had started this diet, I was, I had kind of, I'd whittled down to about maybe a meal and a half to two meals a day. And I was basically only eating like 10 or 12 foods that were on that spiritual diet she'd given me because I was too depressed and too like just didn't know how to manage life to cook. And, and I wanted to be, you know, happier. So I only was willing to eat the foods that was on this list. And, um, and needless to say, I had no life. I had no friends. Um, I didn't go anywhere. All I did was work and eat these 12 or I don't know, maybe it was like 20 foods in various like rotation. And, um, and I was absolutely miserable. And just by the grace of God, um, I was kind of directed to a spiritual teacher who ended up being a longtime OA member who had come back from the brink of death as an anorexic, um, and through OA recovery. And she helped me a lot. And then eventually I got into these rooms. So, um, so I guess this is taken. I always spend too much time at the beginning. Um, so what I want to share is kind of where I'm at now, which is, has a lot to do with this principle of reality. Um, 
I have I'm kind of working on a theory which is that like like all of this restriction and like kind of contortions and trying to be perfect was all predicated on this idea that I didn't like something about the way of the world and the way my world was or the way I was and so I was doing my darndest to try to change it and um and so I feel like anorexia is maybe a little bit different from like like overeating in that sometimes like in order to recover the actual act of eating causes that like flush of emotions so it's like very strong like um like feedback to not want to eat if you're if the moment that you eat you get flooded with these things you've been trying to keep at bay and that's been my experience and that's pretty much been my experience all through recovery with this part of the disease is that um is that if like right now what I'm working on is that um for a long time I worked in restaurants which meant that I went 10 8 7 8 10 hours without eating at a time um, and so it caused a lot of problems physically and I just have had a lot of health problems and it took me a long time to realize actually like a big part of them was that I was still waiting too long between meals, even though I was eating at regular intervals. Um, and so, so like recovery has been accepting that even though kind of like they say in the, um, big book, the phrase about, um, acceptance is the answer. Like, even though I I did not give my permission, nobody asked me if I wanted to be a, you know, anorexic compulsive eater. I did not give my permission to have this disease, so to speak. Um, it is true that I have this problem and I need to take certain steps to recover. And the same thing is true of like when I take that, like when I start to eat, um, right now it's like eating on time. It like brings up this flush of feelings. And I just have to say like, that is the reality. And even though I did not give permission for the fact that like, I'm still angry at my mother and that like the world is the way it is and I'm pissed off about it. And I have to deal with that every time I take a bite. Like the reality is that really is true. And I have to like take steps to address that. And the steps are, you know, continuing, continuing to take good orderly direction around my food. Um, so, so, you know, just to kind of like wrap up a little bit, the, like, you know, if you're curious, like my food plan is basically three meals a day with a snack or two, depending, um, the meals I worked, I had to go see a a medical professional because I didn't trust any person that reminded me of my mother to give me advice about my food, which was basically everyone in OA. So I had to go to a doctor and get, you know, and just kind of get some feedback about it. Um, and, and what I'm really working on is eating on time and part of what's helping to do that, which has just been so abhorrent. It makes my skin crawl to plan my, my food in advance, but I've started like being willing to not just kind of wing it. Like I know it's going to work out somehow, which means that sometimes it doesn't work out on time is like to actually be willing to write down just like a a skeletal plan of what I'm going to eat. And, and for me it works. I can change it. Like that's been, that's something that I can handle. Um, but I'm working on those two things and just, and like to give you like a little perspective, like when I first came in, my abstinence was, 
I am working towards eating more food and I am doing it every day. And every day I'm doing a little bit more towards eating more food. And that was like enough because if I had waited until I had three meals a day in certain proportions and X, Y, and Z, like I would have never gotten there if I hadn't rewarded myself for like taking those actions. Um, and And then, I don't know, there's so much that I could say. Like, I think that, um, like, when you're dealing with restriction and maybe your food, maybe you also have compulsive overeating like I do, um, I've had to really... I've had to really be willing to have like kind of two, like two, almost like bumpers, like bumper wheels on either side of me. And like the one side is like, I don't do this no matter what. So like right now that's like, I don't pick up desserts no matter what. Um, it's also like I eat three meals a day, no matter what. Um, and then the other side is like, I don't, like for me, it doesn't work to plan my meal down to like this, the last grain of rice, because that's like, I get so caught up in that. It's exactly like, it's my restriction, like magnified a hundred times. So the other piece is I listen to my body and I follow like my internal instincts. And that is kind of tricky when you're, when you're like, when you have sponsors for whom that's not the case, because each of us works this program really differently depending on what our own individual issues are. And so I've had to really like kind of carve my own path and have sponsors who are willing to kind of like guide me and helping me find what actually is my internal guidance and not listening to an outside voice in cases where it's going against what my internal guidance is telling me. And that's been like these two sides of the bumper wheels, um, that's, I think, a little unique about recovery when you have these two different polar polarities. So anyway, I could say a lot more, but that's it. So I'll wrap up, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Delin. And now let's welcome our final speaker, Anne. Hi, everybody. My name's Ann. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, um, again, I, uh, you know, I was primed for 20 minutes to speak. That's what the woman um, who asked me to speak said. And then I was primed for an audience of 200. So anyway, I've had to like turn it over like a lot of times while I was sitting here. Um, anyway, I want to let you know I, there are a couple of caveats I have to put out to you guys. One is that I was, I have been anorexic. I have been bulimic and I have exercised compulsively. Um, I was anorexic and bulimic before I came into recovery, but I can talk about what those things were or, you know, the insanity of those things. Um, the other caveat is that I don't have any, uh, I, I don't have any answers for you. I only have experience. So anyway, um, I want to go off, I want to start with my anorexia. I was, uh, I don't know if I was ever normal, but I, I, my life seemed pretty normal. And I was, uh, I was, remember I was in sixth grade and I was lying in bed one night and my, uh, my parents, the bathroom was right next door to my bedroom. And my dad said, uh, my dad was talking to my mom and he said, you know, Anne's getting fat. And my mom said, oh, no, she's not. But I heard that, and I was like, oh, I'm getting fat, you know. And so I, uh, I went on a diet. 
you know, and I lost weight and I was very successful. And I, from the day that I ended that diet, and I don't know how much weight I lost, I don't remember, um, but I was on the scale every day measuring my weight. It had to be a certain weight. And I exercised every day for like 20, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. And I did that. And if I gained weight, I would take the weight off. And everything worked fine. I was, everything was very controlled. And I was, I did that until I was about, I don't know, 15, 16. And uh, one day I had, you know, I had gained a couple of pounds and I had lost my couple of pounds. And I got on the, the scale and, um, you know, the weight was the scale said what I wanted to say, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to lose a little more weight? Let's see if I could do that. I'll try losing a little more weight. And it was just like another pound. And so I took another pound off, and I got on the scale, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to lose a little more weight, you know? And I got on the scale, and I lost another pound. And then it was like, well, wouldn't it be fun to lose a little more weight? And I got on the scale, and I lost another pound. And I guess you all know where this is going. Um, and, you know, what happened is like kind of a little adventure, like wouldn't it be fun to lose a little more weight? Began like, you know, throwing food away, you know, um, um, being so exhausted from being anorexic that I could barely get out of bed in the morning, you know, and everything was about just losing that one next pound. That's all my life was about, you know, losing that one next pound. It was like nirvana getting on the scale in the morning and having the, you know, the scale say, you know, a number less than it had said the day before, or, you know, a couple of days preceding that day. And um, I remember I got to where it said 100 pounds, and I thought I had reached heaven. And um, I thought, oh, my God, I just want to get to 99 pounds. Wouldn't that be great? You know, and that is the insanity you know, the insanity was right there. I thought 99 was great. And I know that, you know, I, I, I couldn't continue. Well, I'll tell you what happened to me. But I know, given the way that my mind obsesses about things, um, I, if I would have gotten to like 95 pounds, it like, God, just get to 94 pounds, having no concept of what I looked like in the mirror. You know, but what happened to me was I did look in the mirror and I don't know how this happened. I don't, can't explain it, but I saw what I looked like at a hundred pounds. And I mean, I was like rail thin and I looked like a boy and, you know, no curves, no nothing. And I was 16 years old and I thought, you look like a boy. I thought, you don't look like a girl anymore, Anne. And I thought, you need to put on some weight. And automatically it changed. And I decided that I would put on some weight. Now, I didn't put on weight like a normal person. I set out to eat, you know, and I started to eat and eat and eat and eat. And I ate, um, I gained about, I don't know how much weight I gained, but I got to a point where I thought, okay, time to stop. And I couldn't stop. And that began on the my path of um, compulsive over overeating, which lasted for um, for twenty years. And I, I I don't know. I think I said this or not. I've, I need to tell you about where I am in my recovery. Let me stop and do that. Um, my recovery, uh, my journey in recovery started in 1982. I first went into Alcoholics Anonymous. I've, uh, by the grace of God, one day at a time, I've been sober for 33 years. I went into Overeaters Anonymous in the fall of 1982. And by the grace of God, one day at a time, I'd been absent for 25 years. And so guess what? Which one was harder for me? <laughs> anyway, um, going back to where I was with the uh, the, bin the cycle of, uh, of binging and dieting that lasted for 20 years. 20 years. 
Um, I guess I was about, uh, oh God, I was about 25, 26. And I had heard, you know, for years about these people that threw up their food. And I thought, oh, I would never want to do that. You know, how disgusting. And then, you know, I, one of these days I thought, well, that'd be like a little adventure. Let's see if I could do that. And so I just, and I, uh, threw up my food and it worked. And I thought, oh, that, you know, maybe I'll do that once in a while. Once in a while. I don't do anything once in a while. So anyway, uh, you know, I, I uh, happened again. I, you know, I binged and I thought, I could just get rid of it. I could just throw up. And so I did. And then, you know, it happened again. I thought, oh, I could just get rid of it. I could just throw it up. And I did. And then, uh, you know, where I'm going with this one, too. And so that began a cycle of binging, you know, um, you know binging and vomiting that lasted for... Oh God! It lasted for two, two and a half years, um, and it was it was interesting. It became like something that I had to do. You know, I had to binge, and then I, you know, I mean, I, I've always been a binger. I'm a compulsive overeater, and it got to the point where you know, if I binged, I vomited. So, I was at a home one evening, and I lived with a roommate at this time. I was living in Southern California, and. I, my, my, my habit was to turn on the faucet, the water faucet in the bathroom, because you don't want anyone to hear you. You have to disguise what you're doing. And so when I threw up, and I got all cleaned up and everything walked out, and my roommate said, she goes, I know what you did in there. She goes, she threw up your food. And I was like, oh, God. You know, it's like, you know, she pulled my covers. You know, she called me on my stuff. And so I, uh, I didn't throw up anymore there. And... Wouldn't it be nice if the story would have ended there? Well, no. I wouldn't be speaking up here today if the story would have ended there. So I moved, I moved, I moved, you know, I moved. You know, that was, that was a great plan, you know, I moved, you know, let's, let's just move in, you know, all your problems will be solved. You'll, you'll move, and of course, the problem is you'll be taking with you with you, but at that time I thought that was a great idea. So anyway, I moved, and I moved in with another couple of girls, and, um, I thought, oh, new territory here. You know, these were friends I'd had for a long time, but they didn't know about my, my binging and my vomiting. And so anyway, uh, you know, I moved in with them and I thought, oh, good, you know, I can, I can do this, you know, binge vomit thing again, but I thought, I'm not gonna get caught. Not gonna get caught. So I developed this plan and my plan was that I, uh, um, I would binge late at night, and this was when uh, Johnny Carson was on. It's been a while. But Johnny Carson was on, and I would be really, really careful. I had, like, newspapers out. This was in front of the television. I had newspapers on the floor. I had my garbage bag, and I waited until the Johnny, Johnny Carson did his monologue because I wanted to make sure that I had, you know, that you know, the things didn't get too loud and my roommates wouldn't come down and tell me to turn the TV, up, turn the TV down or, like, there was just enough noise that I could cover what I was doing. So like if something got really soft, you know, they might hear what I was doing. So I mean, I had it planned down to like the second. And the minute he got on his monologue, I threw up in my grocery bag. And then I hid the grocery bag in the trash. And I did that for like two years, thinking that I was getting away with stuff. And um, I realized that I didn't get away with that. You know, you can't hide grocery bags full of vomit in the trash. You know, it's it's not possible. And so um, that was not an easy amends for me to make, but I had to make that amends. That was a harder amends for me to make. But anyway, that's just the insanity of the bulimia. And what happened to me was um, I wasn't in recovery at that time. Um, I was probably about four years um, preceding coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. But I got so sick from being bulimic. I was so sick. I mean, I remember I was going to college, and I remember going out to school one day, and... 
um, you know, trying to just walk around the campus and just being so, so wasted, you know, so low energy and just feeling so out of it that I thought, God, I got to stop this. And so I did. You know, I did. I stopped on my own without being into, uh, without being in recovery. Um, I, I got sober in, uh, 1982. And in my journey in sobriety, you know, I, uh, I stopped drinking and I stopped smoking. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get healthy here. I'm going to start running a little adventure. You know, I'll go out and I'll, I'll start running now. And so I was running and, you know, I, I, be, I started to run and I, uh, um, I moved up to my parents. I lived with my parents on the central coast and I couldn't run then. I couldn't, I couldn't run with, my, run where my parents were living because there were a lot of hills there. But I started going to, um, aerobics, you know, and I thought, this is great. Went to aerobics and it was, uh, fun. I love to exercise, you know, I really like to exercise. So anyway, I was going to my aerobics class and it was really fun. I enjoyed it. And then it became, God, I'd really like to go twice a day. You know, how am I, can I can't go twice a day, you know, and just obsessed about, you know, you know, how come I can't, you know, just the obsession in my brain about, you know, having to like do more, be better, can't do it constantly. You know, I don't know where I'm going to go with this thing. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but there's the insanity of like, you know, that little, you know, uh, you know, little rat on that treadmill in my brain, you know, just going around and around and around. And I, uh, um, Anyway, you know, my, I don't have the capacity to exercise 24-7. I get tired. You know, I'm a human being. So anyway, I never did do that aerobics class two times a day. But I moved up to the Bay Area, and I became a, uh, a runner, you know, because now it's like I had, I could start running again. There was a place where I could run. And I became a runner and obsessed you know, I didn't want to be a runner. I didn't want to jog on the weekends. I wanted to be a marathon runner. You know, the insanity of being, you know, and I, I don't have the capacity to be a marathon runner. I can't run like 34 miles. But the, in my brain, you know, just the insanity of, uh, you know, of uh, running that marathon or planning, you know, you know, practicing for the marathon. And um, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know how it happened. But... By the time I had moved up to the Bay Area, I was in an AA and I was an OA, and I was a uh, um, I was going to meetings on a regular basis. I had a sponsor. I was working the twelve steps to the best of my ability on a daily basis, and um, I was being of service. And that's all basically that I know how to do. You know, and talk, when it talks about how it works, it's very. You know, this is. You know, it talks about the twelve steps, and there's twelve of them, and it pretty much it pretty much outlines the program of recovery. And you know, that's all of it I had been doing. And I moved to uh, uh, Brisbane, where I live now, in 1985, and. Um, Brisbane has a lot of hills in it. And I had gotten a job. I had just gotten employed for the first time in recovery. And um, I only had time to go out and, and, like, exercise once a week. And you know what? It was okay. It was okay. And, you know, I did have to find the steepest hill that I could climb up, but I only did it once a week. And... I didn't obsess about having to do it seven days a week, two times a day. The fact that I could do it once a day or once a week was fine with me. And, you know, my, my recovery has been like, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you where I am now. I, I got diagnosed with osteoporosis in about 19, I guess about 10, 15 years ago. And I was told to go to the gym, um, 
you know, three times a week and do this special routine and stuff. And I do. And, um, I go to the gym three times a week and I do my routines. Do I do them to the nth degree? Yes, I do. Do I obsess about the fact that I don't go more than three times a week? No, I don't. Today was supposed to be my gym day. I'm not obsessed because I didn't get to go to the gym. I can go to the gym tomorrow. It's okay, you know? And that, to me, is just kind of the reality of where I am. You know, I probably will not wake up tomorrow and be a couch potato. I'm probably always going to have this kind of type A personality. You know, it's like I want to do my best. I want to give it everything I can. But there's limits. And to me, the limits are God-given because they're not mine. Because I didn't have any limits before I came to the program. It was just insanity. You know, and, you know, my limits are certainly their limits that they have. Uh, there's some sanity in there. There really is. There's a limit where I stop thinking about, you know, doing it again or doing it more or working harder next time. There's just a limit, you know, and I don't know um, how that has happened, but I know that it has happened. You know, and I believe it's only by the grace of God and by the power of the 12 steps and meetings and, you know, all the things that, you know, we're, uh, you know, that we're, that are there to suggest to do here. So anyway, I want to, um, kind of wrap it up. There was kind of, uh, uh, one more thing I wanted to say, but anyway, oh, um, I'm kind of today, I'm kind of able to temper my exercising to what my body can handle. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm, I'm able to do. You know, and I'm really grateful for that. There's something that I want to read, and it comes from the promises in the big book here. And um, it's this is after the ninth step, and I'm sure you're all familiar with it, and I'm going to read part of it, not all of it, but it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And with that, I want to thank you for uh, being here today, and thank you very much. Thank you so much. Let's thank our speakers, all three of them. And now we'll have them take a seat on stage for the Ask It Basket questions. Okay, let's see here. Here's a question, not for any one particular person. Do you think there are more of us in OA? They just don't want to qualify as a restrictor due to the stigma? So this is Delyn. Um You know, I don't know. I feel like... Um, maybe more so that like people don't find their way to OA or they don't um, necessarily hear what they need in, in regular OA meetings. Um, like I said before, like most restrictors don't want to give up control. So the idea of coming to OA is, and having it be called Overeaters Anonymous is really misleading. Um, 
I wonder, you know, I started program in New York City, which is like the, you know, bastion of anorexia and perfection and bodies. Well, maybe that in LA. So, um, so there were a lot of us and I was really lucky to have had that community because without that community, I wouldn't have heard my story that much. And I probably wouldn't have gotten the kind of support that I needed. So I wonder sometimes, I do think that it's easy to slip into restriction when you're trying to control your food. And I do think that there is a lot more restriction happening once people reach goal weight and are maybe, I'm going to be so, this is so controversial, are maybe like actually a little underweight because of the, because of the food plans required to like reach that weight and maintain it. And I don't think that that gets talked about enough. Um, that's an interesting question. I certainly don't know, but I had a couple thoughts go through my head is that, you know, so many of us are dieters. Um, I have dieted perhaps three days in my life. Um, but a lot of people are dieters and perhaps some of that dieting is taken the form of restriction. You know, I don't really know. The other thing I thought was that there's a woman in our, um, local, um, area who is still quite large and she, um, identifies herself as a restrictor. And that makes me wonder, do people think that in order to be a restrictor, you need to be thin? And I wonder if people do. And I just think that's an interesting question. Maybe there are people who would benefit perhaps from seeing that that might be part of their story when maybe they don't. So I guess the only other thought about that, well, is like it's nobody's business, right? Any of our other, you know, what goes on with the rest of us. But on the other hand, if we think there may be specific people, no matter what our si- their size in our meetings, who we suspect might be struggling with restriction, although they don't talk about it, it might be an opportunity to just, just kind of speak about your own experience with restriction and, you know, kind of give them an opening to perhaps share if it's something that resonates with them. So those were my thoughts. Okay, next question. Sometimes I feel shame when sharing with other OAs who are or have been overweight because I have mostly been a normal body weight but definitely am a compulsive overeater and ABCer. Can you share any experience, strength, and hope related to this? So this is something that I, so this is something that I need to be talking about more, and I talk about a little bit. Um, I, I hate the fact that I restrict my food. In fact, when I was twelve, and my mom was first aware that I was like talking about dieting, and she's like, "But honey, you're a per- you're like a normal weight," which was absolutely true. It was irrefutable. Um, so I just hid it. And I felt so ashamed because I was supposed to be this like liberated woman. And like, why would a liberated woman be doing this thing? And I think the same shame carries over in regular meetings. I often don't talk about my restriction stuff. And that's why I wish I was hearing about it more and that it was more um, acceptable to talk about. Because I get this thing sometimes where like someone who is a compulsive overeater will come up to me after a meeting and be like, oh, honey, like, and like, it's as if like my disease is like 
written all over me. And I just, it makes me cringe so much that I don't talk about my stuff because I don't want that reaction from people where they try to like mother me or like, Oh, you poor thing. Like so hard. Like, and she's not being patronizing. She's genuinely like giving me pity and it feels horrific. And so I don't talk about it. Hi, my name is Anna McClough, I'm a reader. Um, you know, I think that probably because I've, uh, when I got into OA, I was really overweight and I got, you know, I had a lot of, um, took me a long time to get abstinent, took about five years and I got really large in OA. So I don't really feel the same, you know, because my anorexia, you know, was really the, you know, that was a long time. You know, I was, I was probably like 17 when I, you know, wasn't anorexic anymore. So it's been a long time. And again, you know, for me, it's just, and just being honest here, it's like being, um, thin and, you know, coming to a place where a lot of people are overweight and it's like, you know, it's, it's about, you know, humility. It's about, you know, spirituality for me. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, you're here because, you know, you're a compulsive overeater, and you know, and without the 12 steps, you know, and, you know, you know, really like practicing this program all the time, you would be eating right now. You know, you would be eating, you know, that's where you would be, you know, and I just have to remember that. And, uh, you know, I don't know, this is just kind of thinking out loud. I think that whatever the insanity is, whether it's the insanity around food or the insanity around, you know, anorexia or the insanity around compulsive exercising, um, you know, it seems in, in my experience, you know, the practicing the 12 steps, again, has really helped to moderate that. You know, that's my experience. So anyway, thanks. Yeah, I get to talk more. I'm so excited. So um, that's a really interesting question, and, and obviously it's a valid question. But the first thing that came to my mind is um, what I heard in that question more than anything was the word shame. And that's a word that I hear in meetings all the time. In fact, I know that I've heard about it this weekend. I haven't even gone to a ton of workshops. I was at the pool and at buying clothes for my new job at the boutique when I feel like I should have been in meetings. But anyway – I have digressed. The point I'm trying to make is that we, I believe, in general, are mired in shame. And if I'm not ashamed for being too thin, and I, you know, I've lost about 50 pounds. I sit in meetings and I feel guilty. Um, I felt ashamed when I was overweight. I felt, I, you know, it's it's just something that I deal with, and I think that. Looking at shame for what it is, um, regardless of what it's attached to, um, can be really, really helpful. I know it's helpful for me because if all the reasons that I was ashamed went away today, all of a sudden there would be like 50,000 more other different reasons why I was still ashamed. So those are my thoughts. Okay. Next question. How do you address the control that is behind the restriction? Um, so this is something I, I think about a lot. Um, it really has to do with surrender for me. It has to do with surrender and being able to tolerate big emotions because the surrender, like the surrendering of control in my experience usually makes me very emotional. Um, when I first 
got into the rooms, I just cried hysterically all the time. And I didn't realize that that wasn't everybody's experience. I would call, I would copy down phone numbers at meetings and literally just call complete strangers and say, hi, it's an OA call. Do you have a few minutes? They'd say yes. And then I would just burst into tears and start bawling. And, but I, but I needed to do that because that was the, the amount of emotion that I had built up and kind of suppressed under these behaviors. Um, and the same is true. Um, so like the, I mean, there's still, the crying's still there, but like the first like 10 years or so was about crying and now it's about anger. And, um, so like the control about not wanting to get up from the computer and go make food when I know it's time and I'm starving and I want nothing more than to eat, but I don't want to let go of that control because I know that the minute I put down this compulsive like behavior of being on the internet and get up and actually take a good orderly direction towards like recovery in that moment, I get this, I just become enraged. I get this flush of anger through my body and I have to do this like little tamper tantrum at home and be able to tolerate it. So that's really like the, for me, that's like the linchpin, like underneath what, whether or not I can change behaviors is if I'm willing and have willing and also have the tolerance and the tools to tolerate those feelings. Um, and that's take, you know, that takes me to a lot of other outside places. Um, I'm like really into energy healing and I'm really into like all these, uh, there's other things that I get personally guided to that help me to cope with those things that we don't necessarily get all of those little tricks in a way because it's such a personal program and each of us need different things or are just attracted to different things. Um, so I have to also avail myself of other tools to help deal with those feelings so that I can walk myself through the actions that I'm being guided to take in a way. Hi, my name's Anne. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and, you know, and again, um, uh, you know, because I, you know, came, you know, got into recovery and uh, became abstinent when I was eating compulsively, I had a really, really hard time getting abstinent, and I had a really hard time finding a food plan. And by the time I did get abstinent, I didn't know where to go or what to do. And at that time. The uh, the OA twelve and twelve hadn't been written yet, but there were a couple of uh, of uh, copies running around that were uh, um, uh, anyway uh, not the not the uh, not the thing that got published, but ideas that people had. And one of the suggestions about you know eating was to turn your appetite over to God, you know, through your meditation and have God give you an appetite. And so I did that, and that's the only thing that's really ever worked for me. Um, and you know, do I have control about stuff like issues and about food and stuff to a degree? Yes. You know, I don't have an extra bite and I'm grateful for that. To me, that's being abstinent. Um, you know, do I, you know, it's like, I, I think I will always have some control stuff. You know, do I have control around food so that it gets in the way and it's bothersome to me? No, I don't. You know, I'm not obsessed with it, you know. Um, but, you know, do I have like, um, you know, sort of obsessive compulsive behaviors about things that are, you know, that are probably, you know, based on need to be in control? Yes, I do. Do they drive me crazy like they used to? No, they don't, you know. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a process, 
You know, it's a process, and I don't think I will ever not have that need to be, to have control. But it doesn't bother me to the extent that it's like I'm, you know, I, I feel shame around it, or it's just really, it's, it's just right there, you know, and I can't let go of it or anything. You know, it's part of who I am, it'll probably always be part of who I am, but it's better than it used to be. You know, it's, it's just comfortable. It's who I am, so, thanks. I think this is our last question. Do you believe you have an allergy to certain foods? Do you abstain from particular foods? Do you weigh and measure your food? I definitely think that I have some kind of allergy to sugar and to white flour um, and to crunchy snacky things, which are pretty much... They might as well be white flour, even if, you know, they're so highly processed. I just know that I do, kind of like I spoke about um, earlier today. Um, and like I said, that makes me so happy because I don't want to F around with it. And um, I'm actually grateful for that. Um, I don't believe that's necessarily the case for everybody. Um, I also think that there are people that that is the case for, but maybe they're not there yet. Um, you know, we all come, I think, with different kinds of experiences with food and different food allergies. Um, I sometimes weigh and measure my food. Um, I, you know, often I talked about, you know, my struggles with having gained some weight and food choices. And, yeah, I spent a lot of time obsessing, um, which has been reduced lately. Thank you to my higher power for real. But um, something that my sponsor always says to me is you can weigh and measure at any given time. You can weigh and measure. And I do weigh and measure sometimes. And it's really kind of interesting how that's been very helpful to me. Um, I'm a staunch believer that weighing and measuring absolutely works for some people. And if they, if that works for them, they should absolutely do it. Other people doesn't work for them, then they don't need to do it. And I also think it changes over time. Absolutely. Um, you can go back and forth, you know, whatever. And this is where I think it is... I, the thing that I always am aware of is, um, and I always caution people against, is to not try to figure out your food or your food plan alone. Um, I think of my food plan as a collaboration with my sponsor, and I just think that's really, really important. And, um, you know, you and your sponsor can decide, you know, you're going to try weigh and measuring. Um, and you have that sounding board to help you, you know, realize if um, it's working for you. Um, so I'll answer the, the way and measure question, um, and the allergy question. I, I don't like the term allergy the way that it's used in the big book. I do have a very, very, very strong emotional d addiction to sugar and to certain foods like dessert type foods that are made with sugar. And I think a lot of people in this fellowship call it an allergy. I don't call it that. Um, but as far as like portions, I don't, I'm, I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, it's not something that like OA, um, talks about as a whole, but there, I do something that's kind of like loosely based on what's called the exchange system, which is developed and used a lot for people who are diabetic. Um, you can find a lot of information about it online. Um, but it's essentially like weighing and measuring, except that it's different portions portions are kind of like chosen for different foods based on their glycemic index and how many calories a portion is. 
Um, and I basically just eyeball it. So I have like a, I, and I worked it out over time through working with a medical professional. Like I said, I didn't trust any OA members to bounce these things off of. So I went to a nutritionist like weekly for a period of three or four years because I needed that professional like feedback just to have someone who I felt like was sane about food to give me feedback. And through that time, what I would do is I'd say, you know, I really feel like I'm not eating enough protein. And they'd be like, why don't you try eating a little more protein then? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay. And, you know, so over time, and this took, like I said, it took probably two or three years. Over time, I developed a kind of um, list in my head where I know roughly what a portion of rice looks like when I'm really hungry and what it looks like when I'm just moderately hungry. And I know what a portion of protein looks like roughly for me about how much I need a day. And most of my meals look like that. So I'm, I'm tech, I'm kind of weighing and measuring it, but I'm not really. I'm, um, and I also use something called a hunger scale where I just kind of give myself, I check in with myself and you can also find them online, different ones how hungry am I right now? How full am I right now? And just over time, I would kind of check in with myself before and after each meal to see like, was that enough or wasn't it? Did I, should, do I need to get up and make more hamburger because I didn't make enough protein? Like that was actually one of my early forays into recovery was like, no matter what, you will eat enough protein at a meal, no matter what. And I would finish my meal and I hear this little bell would go off my head and it was like, that wasn't enough. You can tell you're still hungry. You need more protein. And I would force myself to get up, make more food. Like, luckily, I didn't really work that much at the time. So I had a lot of time that I could do that at every meal. Hi, I'm Ann Composable Overeater. Um, do I think I have a certain allergy towards foods? I have no idea. I just know that I don't eat like a normal person. You know, I don't know. I know that once I start to eat like a, you know, food with flour and sugar, I just want to eat more and more and more of it, you know. And I know the more that I eat, the harder it is to get away from it. I think that's probably true for most people. Um, Do I have a food plan that I follow? Yeah, I do. It was given to me by a nurse, and I just thought, you know, this is God's will for you. Uh, No flour, no sugar, no wheat, and for me, no dairy. And I know that without uh, gluten... In my in my uh, system, it's a lot easier for me. I was abstinent using having gluten in my system in like a really healthy healthy way, like wheat bread and stuff, for many many years. And then I went to this nurse, and she said, "No, uh-uh, no gluten at all." I just wanted to spit at her, but anyway, um, you know. And and I haven't had, and it's it's just easier for me. It's easier for me. Do I weigh and measure? No, no, I don't. You know, I pretty much uh, I know I know what is an amount that I should eat. You know, I know what's, I know based on my hunger again, you know, how much you can have, how much you don't have. I don't ever like a, go over a certain amount of food. There's a certain amount of food I allow myself to eat during the day, and when it's done, it's done. I don't get any more, you know, but I don't weigh and measure. So, thanks. Thank you so much, all three of you. Really appreciate it. All right, it's now time to close. Please stand and join hands as we close with, how about the third step prayer? Is that okay? God, I offer myself to thee to build with me 
and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen.